Welcome to the Halakha Hour here on JRU Radio. This is the Halakha Hour live on JRU Radio. Today's date is Dalit Elul, Tavshin Ayn Hay. We are excited. We are here in the month of Elul, the month of Teshubah. And Ma'azat Hashem, we are looking forward to a new year, as we say in our tefillot. We should have a new year, a new wonderful year with all its blessings. And the year with all the bad things that should finish. And we have been given this opportunity in Shamaim, this month of Elul, the month of Rahamim, the days when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shamaim and prayed on behalf of all the Jewish people. And although we usually do the halachot of the holidays, that will be next week. This week will be semi. What we're going to start doing is the halakha, or finish up. Really, I want to clarify the halakha from last week. I know last week my uh, halakha class was not so clear because there are a number of reasons why it wasn't so clear. I think one of the main reasons is because I was reading inside, and although that's part of the class that we do read inside the Benish Hai, and we will continue to read from Benish Hai, however, when it's Halakhot and the halakhot are very complicated, and there's a lot of information we have to properly give an introduction, or not just an introduction, but maybe speak out the halakhot outside. So, a little bit out of order. We will, Be'ezat Hashem, speak, about, speak out the halakhot that we mentioned last week, because they're really, really very important halakhot. The ramifications of these halakhot also, the applications of these halakhot, and we will also be discussing in the end, towards the second half or the second or the end of the class, we will be talking about some important halachot, and that those are halachot that are relevant to the, this year coming up. The halachot of prosbul, prosbul, we will explain what that is, but it's something shayach that we all need to know about, and we need to inform other people about, especially if you're in the business of money, as we all are, but. Uh, not just, you know, making money, but lending out money. We will see where that is. Okay. And now, to begin. We already know the introduction. I'm running out of time. I would normally say it. But I guess I have to say it anyway. 718-683-5858 is to call into the station. Call in after 3 o'clock. Text in at 347-927-8398. And Baruch Hashem, we get our weekly text from a number of listeners. You should know. I appreciate it very much. And I I thank you, everybody, for the hizuk. Um, it really is mehazik. It really, you know, at least I know somebody's listening besides myself. Okay, so the number is also to listen to the radio. It's 718-506-9099 or 712-432-4217. Jrootradio.com, there you can only listen. We don't have live streaming, meaning to say you can't watch this class live. And the reason for that is, uh, like we said, we're working on fixing up some technical uh, areas over here. But is that a shame next year? I mean, not next year, next week. Possibly also next year. But uh, we will have, hopefully, live streaming. Let's jump into the halakhot. We're in the halakhot of mukse, And specifically, the category of mukse known as Mukseh Mahamat Gufo. Something which becomes mukseh because the item itself does not have the status of a keli. This is a very important rule when it comes to this category of mukseh. Mukseh mahad gufo is something 
that doesn't have the status of a keli. What is a keli? Simply defined, simply translated, keli is a utensil. But in halakha, in terms of halakha, keli is anything that has a function. It doesn't have to be what maybe your standard of a utensil is, but it has to be something that has some sort of a function. I'll give you an example. Um, this is a little bit off topic, I know, but just to understand the example. Tefillin. You wouldn't normally think of tefillin as a kli, but it is a kli. Now, what kind of kli is it? That's already a mahlokit raman versus the magen of nataz. But it's not the point. I want to show you that tefillin, which most of us would think oh, it's Judaica. I don't know if you call it a utensil, but it is a kli. It has a function. You put it on. So that is the status of a kli according to Allah. It must have some sort of usage or function. Okay. Mukseh Muhammad Gufo is the form of category of Mukseh where it has completely no function. Examples are stones, rocks, uh, scrap, metal, wood, all these things that on their own naturally, and that means in their normal state, unless there's like some sort of exception, they wouldn't have any function. That's Mukseh Muhammad Gufo. The halakhot of Shibre Kalim, which we began to discuss last week, Speak about items that once upon a time, that once upon a time could be any time, that is, they came, they were a kili, they were some sort of utensil, they had some sort of function, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden the function disappeared. Why? Shebrei kelim, they broke. So we want to learn some halakha. Now, I'm not going to read it inside the Ben Ishai because the Ben Ishai, as an Aharon should be, he brought the halakha and he elaborated on the halakha and that's really what I believe confused a lot of people because we read the halakha in Hebrew, translated, explained, brought examples and we jumped right back into the halakha so it was a little confusing. I will read though from the Shohan Aruch. It's very, very important. When you learn halakha, you must know the source, you must know where it came from, you must know how to explain it. Because the worst thing you want to find yourself in is you get into a discussion on a Shabbat table between you and a friend or a cousin or somebody's on the table, and you say, my rabbi says that this is mutter. And he says, my rabbi says that your rabbi's is aritz, it's asr, right? And then you, nobody knows what they're talking about. Could be both your rabbis didn't say what you said. And both of you rabbis probably agree to each other. You just misunderstood him. You need to know the source. You need to understand the halakha. And it's, you know, don't jump to apply it in areas that you didn't learn. But when you understand why something is mutar or asur, why something is permitted or forbidden, you will be able to navigate around the halakhot much easier. You'll be able to know how to apply it when the halakha does apply, when it doesn't apply. And that's very, very important in general as a rule of learning halakha. So therefore, we will read from the Shohan Aruch inside, which everybody must abide to. The Shohan Aruch, Shohan Aruch says in halakha vav. I will read just the parts that are relevant to us. We're going to learn this halakha. It's very short. And then I will elaborate all the different possibilities of the salakhat. Basically, the salakhat talks about kelim, utensils, items that went into Shabbat as utensils, as having a function, and then they broke on Shabbat. Listen to the words of Zuhan Aruch. Kol ha-kelim shenishberu afilu be-Shabbat mutal letatel shebrehem ubelbat shihu reuyim leshum melakha. All utensils that broke, even if they broke on Shabbat, your the the items the the broken pieces are not mukseh on a condition. What's a condition? The condition is that the piece itself 
does have some sort of function. It can be used for something. Here, the Suhanaluk gives an example. Kegon. If you have a, uh, this big mixing pot, let's say it broke on Shabbat. The kids were playing and it fell and it broke. Now there's many pieces around. If that piece itself could be used as a cover for covering your bottle, it can be used. You could, you know, yeah, you lost your, you know, the Poland Spring one gallon bottles, so you lost the cap over the, over there. So you want to use it now to replace the cap. You could do that. But if it's not fit for any sort of melacha, you can't come up with something to use it for, then the broken pieces become mukseh. What kind of mukseh? Mukseh Muhammad Gufo. Which means like a stone. What's the deal with a stone on Shabbat? It's mukseh Muhammad Gufo. What do we do with it? Nothing. It's mukseh. You may kick it to the side. You, you know, all the, now you have to go figure out how to move mukseh when you need to. But it's mukseh. You can't move it. It's mukseh Muhammad Gufo. Okay, review outside. Any broken, any utensil that breaks on Shabbat, the pieces will not become mukseh if you have some sort of use for them. Okay, now we're going to go through the possibilities and all the different things that happen. There are basically two categories over here. There is a keli, there's an item, a utensil that broke before Shabbat. And then there's an item that could break on Shabbat, as Malan says, which means it either broke before Shabbat or on Shabbat. This is the halakha rabotai based on the Shohan Aruch and the Aharonim that explain the Shohan Aruch. We will learn, an, we'll learn a few halakhot today and then see how perhaps the halakha might be different in our days. We'll see. Just right now, keep in mind... What it says in the Shohan Aruch and the Mefarshim. If something breaks on, uh, excuse me, if something breaks before Shabbat, whether it broke on Friday or any of the time during the week. So basically there are two possibilities. What will you do now with these broken pieces? Either, either you'll dispose of them, you throw them away, or you'll keep the pieces around. So the Halakha tells us if you threw the pieces away from before Shabbat, then... The pieces are mukseh. But if the pieces themselves were not thrown out, you kept them around. When, by the way, we're talking about because you had the option to throw it out. Okay, you, That means it's not like it happened five minutes before Shabbat and you're too busy trying to park your car outside and, or move the, move the car out of the driveway because your children and grandchildren are coming in and you didn't have time to pick it up until the Shabbat happened. We're talking about that. It broke before Shabbat. You had the time to move the pieces and you decided... Now, I'm not going to throw out the pieces. Then those pieces, obviously, um, you, you have a use for them. So therefore, those pieces are not mukseh if you have one of the following conditions. Either the piece them itself has some sort of a function, or you designated it for some sort of function. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a chair. A regular metal chair that has, you know, the padding on by the back and the padding where you sit on it. So let's say the chair broke before Shabbat, Friday afternoon at 12 o'clock, it broke. So now you have a few options, two options what to do with the chair. Either you take all the pieces and you throw it out in the garbage or 
You don't throw it out in the garbage. You take some of the pieces and you keep it for yourself. For example, you took the padding on the chair and you said, you know, this will be good. If we should have another Tisha B'Av, we will use the padding to sit on the floor. Or, you know, this is good when we go out to a picnic and I don't want to sit on the grass with, you know, that little um, towel or that little um, tablecloth that I put on the floor is not doing such a good job. You know, it's a little hurting the... The padding is much better. So in that case, since you use the piece, you designate, you now want to use the piece for to sit on it for Tisha B'Av, even though it came from a broken utensil, since it has a function, it's not mukse. Now, if you took the padding and you threw it out before Shabbat, even though technically it could have been used to sit on it, it doesn't make a difference. Since you disposed of, disposed of it, you threw it out before Shabbat, it becomes mukse. Another example, I'll give you another example, what we mentioned last week. You have a shelf on a bookcase. The shelf broke right before Shabbat. What could you use a broken shelf for? The answer is, you could use it as a paperweight. You could put things, it depends how big your shelf is, but I don't know, let's say you could. So let's say the, the shelf completely is shattered. You know, and I'm not talking about just broken to two pieces, broken to four or five different pieces. Now, Again, you have two options. You could either throw it out before Shabbat or you could keep some of the pieces because you want to use them for something later on. So the halakha will be dependent on what you did with these broken pieces before Shabbat. If you throw it out before Shabbat, then it's mukse, regardless if you could use it for something or not. However, if you decide not to throw it out by choice and you wanted to keep it for something, you wanted to keep it maybe perhaps to hold up your table that's a little bit sturdy, it's not so, it's not so uh, standing so well, so then that piece of wood now acquires a name in halakha called the keli. It's now utensil. It's now used as a door stopper. It's now used as a paperweight. You've given it a new life. You've given it a function. You've given it a keli. And therefore, it entered Shabbat as a keli, it's not mukseh. That's if the item breaks before Shabbat. It will, the mukseh, the its status of mukseh will depend on if you threw it out or not. However, let's say the item breaks on Shabbat. So here, the halakhot of mukseh are a little bit more lax, a little bit more lenient. Because it entered Shabbat as a keli. So therefore, in this case over here, we'll be a little bit more lenient. Let's first give you the two possibilities. There are two possibilities when an item breaks on Shabbat. There's two ways that it could break. Either the whole utensil completely breaks, like the case that we just gave before, the whole chair just broke. You can't use it as a chair anymore. It'll be like a padding or something else. It can't be used as a chair. Or the shelf, it completely broke that you can't use it as a shelf anymore. That's one option. The other way is that you have a utensil that the that part of the utensil breaks while the rest of it is still around and functioning like it used to. You want an example? For example, the case where a person has a dining room chair with the armrest. You know, the two armrests where you put your arms on it on the sides? So let's say the armrest broke on Shabbat. When the armrest breaks on Shabbat, the chair still functions as a chair, right? And the armrest just broke off of the chair. Another example, you have a mug with the handle on the side. And on Shabbat, the handle of the broke. The mug is still usable. And it's usable for its old function to drink from it. But the handle now broke off. Okay? Those are two options. We'll discuss the details of the halakha on those two options. Let's begin with the first case. Where the whole item completely breaks. The, the, the examples that we gave before. Where the chair completely broke. 
it cannot be used as a chair anymore, or the shelf broke off the bookcase, it can't be used as a shelf anymore. It cannot use it. Can, you cannot use it anymore. So now you have two possibilities that you could do with this broken piece, right? And it, that's what will make it mukse or not. How? What's the two possibilities? The two possibilities are if the broken pieces have some sort of function. If you can figure out some sort of function for the broken pieces, the pieces themselves will not become mukse, even if you throw it out. That's a hadush. Even if you put it in the garbage, it will not become mukse. Why? Because it has a, it has a status of a keli. If, let's say, for example, you decide to take your chair and put it outside in the garbage, right? Assuming it's in a bad condition, so people won't take it. But let's say it's a pretty good chair and people are not going to, you know, everybody's Jewish outside. But you put it out in the garbage to be collected on Monday. Now, you decide later, I know I want to take my chair, I want to bring it back in. I want to sit on it. I have an extra guest. I didn't think he was going to come. So would that chair turn into mukseh? And the answer is no, it's a, it's a chair. Oh, but you got rid of it. You got rid of it meaning on Shabbat. And the answer is, who cares? It's still functional as a chair. So over here, we're a little bit more lenient according to the Shohan Aruch, the Halakha, that if something came into Shabbat as a keli, as a utensil, and now it broke, even though I threw it out on Shabbat, but it could still retain the status of a keli and not become mukseh if you have some sort of use for it. There's some sort of function. It has to be used for something. So let's give the examples that we gave before. A chair breaks on Shabbat. There's a padding. What could you do the padding, with the padding? And it says the padding, I could, I could use it. What do you I could use it for many things. I could use it to sit on it. I could use it for Lalev at the Shabbat. I could use it to pretend it's the Shabbat. I could use it for the park. It's a padding. It could be used. And what about the metal pieces of the chair? So it depends. Some pieces maybe I could use as a paperweight. Maybe I could use them as a door stopper. And maybe I could use it as a sick, maybe as a bar for my sukkah. I don't know. It could be used. If there's some sort of use for it, then the pieces are mukse, even if I throw it in the garbage. However, if the piece itself, if the piece itself has no function whatsoever, then it's mukse. Let's give you two examples. Right now, it's towards the end of camp. Everybody's coming home. And the kids are coming with their arts and crafts. One of the things that boys do in the arts and crafts is they make wood crafts, right? They come in with the wood. So when my son came with a um, wooden napkin holder, basically they took three pieces of wood, taped it together, and their counselor, you know, put in the nail, they colored it, and beautiful, you have a napkin holder, a wooden napkin holder. Let's say that breaks apart, the glue comes apart, and now you have just three pieces of wood. And they're not so heavy, that you can't use them as a paperweight. They're almost as light as paper. So then, what could I use it for? I can't use it as a doorstop because also they're very thin. My door is high, higher than that. So since I have no use for this wooden tissue holder or napkin holder, so now the pieces are mukse. Ah, oh, but it came into Shabbat as a keli, as a utensil. Yeah, but now on Shabbat that it broke, and I have no use for any of the broken pieces. All the broken pieces are mukse, even before throwing it out in the, in the garbage. Another example, you bought yourself some uh, sunglasses, you know, off the street, 4 or $5. They're very cheap. They're one of those, you know, cheap sunglasses. And sunglasses, you know, you don't need it so much. You need it when the sun, okay. What happened? Your kids want to look cool. They take your sunglasses and they put it on. And the other kid says, get out of here. It's mine. It's yours. Mine. Bah, bah, bah. Guess what happened? The sunglasses now broke. It turns into now four different pieces. What could you do with this now? 
There's nothing to do with the sunglasses. You can't use the arms of the glasses or the lens of the sunglasses. You can't. There's nothing. There's no function for it. Maybe you want to tell me the lens. I could technically, you know, use it to look out the window and open one eye and protect myself. Maybe. But in general, usually the pieces have no use. So in that case, since the pieces have no function, even if it broke on Shabbat, it will become mukseh even before I throw it in the garbage. So what can I do with it? I can't pick it up. It's mukseh. So you move it through with a broom, you know, whatever it is. You have to move it in a way to avoid handling mukseh. It is now mukseh Muhammad Gufo. Let's review again. Something that came into Shabbat as a keli. And it broke on Shabbat. If it broke, pay attention, if it broke and the pieces, if it broke on Shabbat and the pieces have some sort of use for it, then the pieces do not become mukse. However, if the pieces have no function whatsoever, then it is mukse. What kind of mukse? Mukse Muhammad Gufo. Okay, that is category number one when something breaks on Shabbat. There's another possibility of something to break on Shabbat where we give an example. Where, for example, I have a chair and a piece of the chair breaks off. Or I have a mug and the handle of the mug breaks off. So what is the deal, what is the halakha with this, uh, with this mug, or excuse me, not the mug, the mug is works. But the armrest, what do we do with the armrest? The handle of the mug, what's the deen? The answer is, in that case, the piece itself could either have a function or not a function. It could either be used as a paperweight, let's say, or it cannot be used for anything. In either case, it's always going to be mukseh. Why? Because if it has a use, which is not the, the use that you used to have beforehand, so now this, since the keli is still around, so now it's what we call in halakha nolad. Now a new Keli was born, was created on Shabbat. And therefore, this will be mukseh because of Deen of Nolad. A very complicated uh, set of halakhot Nolad. I don't want to get into it, but that's the bottom line. A piece that comes off a utensil, if the utensil still functions as its old function, the chair, the dining room chair is still a chair. The mug is still a cup. It could be You could still drink from it. The piece that came off is going to be mukse unless the piece that came off could still do part of its function from beforehand. But if it cannot, it cannot. It's over. It doesn't work anymore. It's going to be mukse. Now that we discussed the broken kelim, broken utensils that break on Shabbat, either before Shabbat or on Shabbat, that was a small side point that we do have to mention. We spoke about it at length last week. You check it out more over there. And that is, if something that breaks and has no function, we said it's already mukseh, whether it breaks before Shabbat or on Shabbat, if there's no function for it, it's mukseh, it cannot be handled. There is an exception to this rule. If the broken piece is hazardous, it's dangerous, it can hurt someone, then the piece itself is not mukseh, even though there's no use for it whatsoever. Since it could be dangerous for someone, for kids, for you, you might step on it, you could pick it up. I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a mirror, and the mirror fell on Shabbat and it broke. Don't worry about good luck and not good luck. That's shuyot. We don't go with that. Anyway, the mirror broke on Shabbat. What's it deen now? And the answer is the pieces of the mirror are sharp. That's broken glass. That's what a mirror is. It's broken glass. So therefore, they could hurt someone. You could pick it up and throw it in the garbage, even though there's no function for it. Happens to be by mirror, there's a function for it. Why? Because a mirror, you can still use it to look at it. 
So maybe mirror is not a good example. So let's give you another example. A glass cup, a glass plate, a glass picture frame. It fell on Shabbat and completely shattered. And there are big pieces, small pieces. All the pieces are now, since they are potentially hazardous, you could pick it up and throw it in the garbage. Even though there's no use for it whatsoever, it doesn't make a difference. Good? So the rule is that when a keli, a utensil, comes into Shabbat and it breaks and it has no function, it should have been mukseh. However, because it is dangerous or it could be potentially dangerous, hazardous, you may pick it up with your regular hand and take it away. It's not going to be mukseh. That is halakha vav in Simanshin Het in Shohan Aruch, an important halakha when something breaks on Shabbat. The general rule is, if something breaks on Shabbat, since it entered Shabbat as a utensil, if it has some sort of function, then the broken pieces are not muksa. If there's no function whatsoever and it's not dangerous, then the broken pieces are now in the category of muksa mahmat gufo, which means they cannot be moved at all. They cannot be handled in the normal way. That seems to be pretty good. Okay, we got that rule. Let's move on now to Halakha Yod Alif. Halakha Yod Alif in Shulchan Aruch, that is. You're going to hear Halakha now that's going to sound, you know, how about this? Let's bring you the case, and you should know if you were paying attention from what we said till now, you should know the answer. What's the Halakha? Halakha is as follows. Halakha says about a needle. Mahat. A needle... Is because it's usually used to stitch, to sew things, okay? Which means it can be it can be handled if you need it. Let's sort of go for let's talk make more. If you need its place, if you need to use a needle to take out a thorn, that's fine. But what would happen now if the needle breaks on Shabbat? You know, that sharp part of the needle now breaks. What could you use it for now? Oh, so what are you gonna tell me now? What should ha- what should be the halakha? If a needle breaks on Shabbat, what would you say? I would say, that's, a, that's like anything that breaks on Shabbat. What would you say if a chair broke on Shabbat? And the answer is, we look at the pieces. The pieces that can be used for something are not mukseh. So let me look at the needle now. If the needle broke on Shabbat, could it be used for something? If I could use it for something, it should not be mukseh. That That's what I would say. That's what anybody would say. The only thing is, the halakha is not that way. The halakha says it becomes Mukseh Muhammad Gufo. I didn't read it inside, you know, because of the time. But that's what Shohan Aruch writes in Halakha Yul Anif. A mahat, a needle that breaks on Shabbat, it is a sur. Whoa. Comes again, Abraham says, I don't understand. You told me two seconds ago, any utensil that breaks on Shabbat, the pieces will become mukseh if there's no function for it. But if there is a function, it will not become mukseh. Why buy a needle? You don't bother to give me that option. You don't give me the option that if it could be used for something, you don't say that right away. You say, oh, needle broke, mukseh, right away. You Even, which sounds like, even if it's g- going to be used, even if you could find a function for the needle, it'd still be mukseh. That's a question of the Magen Abraham in Sif Katan Dalit. And he gives two answers, and we can go with the second answer, because that's what Mishaburan, all the Haronim go with. And he explains, you know what the answer is? There's a difference between the needle and the utensils that Shohan Aruch was speaking about earlier. In the case where Shohan Aruch was speaking about earlier, broken pieces, I mean broken utensils, when the pieces break, people usually will take the utensils and figure out what to do with them afterwards. And, you know, you could use them for something else. When that chair breaks, the padding, people will usually use it 
for something else. They use it to sit on it. They'll use it, you know, for the park or for anything else. However, by a needle, the norm of the people is that when the needle breaks, they're not going to try to figure out what to do with it. They're going to dispose of it. Even though somebody could come and be creative and say, you know what? Watch. I'm going to take the needle now and I'm going to show you what I can do with it. It doesn't make a difference. The norm of the people is that that needle, once it breaks, they dispose of it. They get rid of it right away. So based on this, again, Abraham, that explains that when something breaks and the norm is to dispose of it, Many Aharonim come along and they say that our days, this whole halakha that I spent 20 minutes explaining, which is halakha vav, if something breaks on Shabbat, could you use it for something, could you not use it for something? They explain that it doesn't apply in our days. Why? Because what do we do in our days when something breaks? We throw it out. We dispose of it. Do we try to figure out that maybe we could use it for something else? When your chair breaks, are you going to think, oh, you know what, let me use the padding, let me sit on it? Well, if you're married, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to take the padding maybe to use it for something else. Your wife is going to take that stick and beat you with it. How much junk do you want to put in the house? We're already tight. There's already no space. Get, get it out of my face. And that's the norm. Like the ladies are saying, they have a, they have a point. What are you going to do with all this stuff in the house? So therefore, the, there are many big poskim, including Brachat Shabbat, Shevet HaLevi, Shalmei Yehudan, in, in the name of a few poskim as well, Peskechuvot also quotes some, some uh, poskim as well. And they all say that in our days, being that people are... The norm of people is that they, normal, when things break, they get rid of it. So now, all utensils that break on Shabbat, according to these Ahronim, have the status of the needle in Halakha or, that the Shohana Ruch brings down. Which means that since usually people, the norm is that people throw it out, they don't use broken pieces because we have other good things to use. If I need a door stopper, I'll go spend 99 cents and get four door stoppers. If I need a padding on the chair, I'll go buy a pillow for $7.99 or whatever it is. I'm not going to take that padding and just let it lie, lie around. I'm going to throw it out. So because of that, they hold that uh, things that break on Shabbat, even if there's something that they could be used for, it'll become mukseh. That's the opinion of some of the poskim. However, not everybody agrees on this. As we mentioned last week, many poskim go the other way. His book was written about, I don't know, seven years ago, eight years ago. Not so long ago when he wrote his book on Chod uh, Mukseh. And he brings this halakha. And he knew that nowadays we take things and we throw them out. He saw the Shevet Levi. He saw Shalmei Yehuda. He knows the book inside out. He didn't go with it. Why not? Hut Shani explains a very fundamental difference. He explains, the Hut Shani, by the way, is of Nisim Karelitz. He's a nephew of the Hasan, cousin of um, Rukhaim Kanievsky. They should all be uh, well. And he writes that there's a difference between the Shebrek Elim According to Shohan Aruch, according when he says that broken utensils are not mukseh if they have a function, and the needle. He says, you know why? In the case of the needle, once it breaks, there's nothing to do with it. It's not fit for anything. If you want to use it for something, you have to be really creative and you have to sort of create a reason for it to be used. Not so when, let's say, your chair breaks. The padding is made to sit on. It could be used to sit on. Ah, in our days, we'll throw it out. You know why in our days we'll throw it out? Because Baruch Hashem, Hashem blessed us with plenty. 
We have so much things that we don't want to keep junk. Sometimes we even get rid of good things in the house. How many times did you get rid of good pants, good shoes? Good? Why? You got to clear out inventory, right? You have new things coming in. So this, so even though it could be used, we throw them out because we have so much. We don't need it. We have. We could do better. You know, we could do well without it. So it's not that it's not fit for use. It is fit for use. Broken things are fit for use. And once they're fit for use, according to these Ahronim, Ahamadiyah, Hutchanim, and Hataba, once it's fit for use, that's it. It's not mukse. Even if I get rid of it, even if I throw it out, it's not going to be mukse. Even if I throw it, by the way, in the garbage, according to Hutchani and all these Ahronim that we said, they hold no, the halakha didn't change. However, he does agree. And I believe, even though I didn't see it inside, but I believe all the I will agree on this, is that if there's something that is not fit for use, and you, and you, could, you have to be really creative to come up with, you know, let's say something breaks, and it's not fit for use at all, and you have to be really creative to figure out, a, you know, some sort of use for it, like the case of the needle, a safety pin that breaks. What are you going to use it for? Now I got to go figure out what to do with it, Right? So in that case, he'll agree. That's like a needle. And therefore, it will be mukse. So to sum up, the, according to the opinions I hold, that shibrek elim, the laws of broken pieces still apply nowadays, we have three halakhot. Number one is, if a utensil comes into Shabbat as a utensil, and the pieces break, if the broken pieces have no function, then they're mukse. Unless they're hazardous, of course, then they're not muksa because we don't, you know, Hakimim allowed you to move something in order that people shouldn't get hurt from it. Number two, if the piece breaks on, if the utensil breaks on Shabbat and the pieces are functional, they can be used, even though you may not want to use them. Still, since they can be used and are made to be used, for, or, or, you know, on, you would be able to use it, then they're not muksa, like the case of the padding on the chair. However, halakha number three, if something comes into Shabbat as a keli, as a utensil, and completely breaks on Shabbat, and the broken pieces really don't have a normal function, you, you don't know what to use it for, you have to figure out and create some sort of way to use these broken pieces, then they will become mukse like the needle, because you have to create some sort of use for it. This is an important, believe it or not, this was only an introduction. What is it an introduction for? It's an introduction for a subject that's spoken about by all the Ahronim in our days. Because our generation, like we said, our generation, as uh, I've heard it coined by Rabbi Tversky, we're a disposable generation. You use a pen, and you're done with it. You, that's it, you throw it out. You use it once, you, you throw it out. Cups, spoons, I still remember and I grew up in a third world country, I guess you could say, in Syria. Right? Even though it was a little bit more modern than all the other uh, countries in the Middle East, excluding Israel, that is. Still, I still remember when they, you know, the, I, all the forks and spoons that we used, we never had plasticware. All we had was metal and whatever. You know, that's it. We only had is metal. And cups also, metal cups and glass cups. We never had anything, you know, plastic. And I remember the first time that plastics were served somewhere, and people were taking them home. They said, can you believe it? They're throwing out their forks and spoons. I can't believe it. They're throwing out forks and spoons. Good fork and good spoon. Look at that. So people took it home. It was new to them. I remember that. I'm, you know, I'm not so old, but <laughs> this was in my days. In any case, in our days, there's no such a thing. 
We, we have disposable metal, you know, silverware. People will take it and get rid of it. And of course, all the plastic you use it once, you're out. Goodbye. That's it. So therefore, there's a big discussion amongst the post scheme with disposables. How do we treat disposables? Why? Well, before we get to the why, let's first tell you what the basically the two sides of the coin is. And, you know, we have post scheme here and post scheme here. It's a mahlokit. The are post scheme. Basically, the question is that we have to understand is, do we treat disposables after their uses. You know, I'm not talking about new cups and everything. We're talking about, let's say, like a plastic cup that you used already. You're not going to use it again. A plastic cup, do we treat it as a broken needle in the, in that Shohan al brought? Since the norm of the people is to throw it out, do we say that that's it, it's garbage, and once I throw it out, it's garbage, and, and it's Muqsim Ahmad Gufo? Or do we say no? It's not Muqsim Ahmad Gufo. It has a use. It can be used. So what if I'm getting rid of it? But it can be used, right? So, it's a mahlokit. Some say that it's asur, and some say it's mutar. If you have disposals that have been used, and I got rid of it, you throw it in the garbage, on Shabbat. Not to me that became so disgusting and you can't pull it out. We're talking about it's there. It's not disgusting. It's there. It could be, you know, Technically, technically, it can be taken out and washed again and be used again. What will be the status of these kelim if you threw them out? What will be the status of these disposables if you threw them out? The people are osir. The people who say it comes muqseh, Muhammad Gufo, are the following. Berkata Shabbat, Shut Migdanot Eliyahu, as well as Meora Shabbat in the name of Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Orbach. That's a big name over there. Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Orbach, among the main poskim, that's osir. However, on the other side of the coin, you have other poskim that permit it. Who are they? And they are the uh, Rab Scheinberg, Rab Pinchas Chaim Scheinberg Zetzal, in the back of Sefer Shalmei Yehuda, he has a whole Amar arguing on Rab Shlomo Zaman Orbach, as well as Rab Nisim Karal, they both hold, even if you throw it out on Shabbat, they're not mukseh. And I will explain why they, the people who say they are mukseh, why are the people according to opinions that hold they are not mukseh? Let's begin. We find by Shabbat Kelim, by utensils that broke on Shabbat, is that there's an item that entered Shabbat as a keli. According to Allah, it's a utensil. And on Shabbat, it transformed from a keli, which was na mukseh, it transformed into something that became mukseh, Muhammad Gufo, in the middle of Shabbat. What were the conditions or what happened to this keli in order that it transformed it from a keli to mukseh on Shabbat? There were two things. Number one is, when the item broke, it, had, it was not fit for use anymore. Like in the case of the needle, it's not fit for use. Number two is that it was also the norm to throw it out. Like the case of the needle. So therefore, according to these post scheme, they hold that if you have disposables that were used, since now you're throwing it out, it's not fit for use anymore. Because let's say you used it, you know, it's not fit. It's not made to be used. And number two is the norm of everybody is to get rid of it. So therefore, according to them, if you have a soda bottle that finished, that's completely empty. Or if you have plastic, like, you know, disposable cups and forks and plates and spoons and all these things. Or let's say you have potato chips bag after all the contents, all the potato chips are out. Or, you know, in Israel, they have these milk bags. If you know what I'm talking about, 
Oh, you're missing a lot of fun. But anyway, they have their milk comes in bags, and after they, you know, they rip it from the side, they empty out all the milk from there. So let's say there's no more milk inside those bags. Or let's say you have candy wrappers. You had a Laffy Taffy. You took out your Laffy Taffy. Actually, Laffy Taffy gets stuck, so let's not use that. You have, let's say, a regular candy. You know, you took out the wrapper. According to these poskim that oser, once these items have been, have been once you're done using them, you're finished, they're not fit for use anymore, you throw them out, that's it, they're muqseh. The question on them, and they do answer, but the question on them is, how could you compare it to broken kelim? By kelim, by shabre kelim, which we mentioned in the item actually gets broken. There's a keli, and it breaks. What are you comparing? Over here, the soda bottle is still around, it's still intact. I can technically use it to refill it, and some people will refill it. Right? So how could you compare the two? So the answer that's given in the name of Shomu Zaman Orbach, explain of Shomu Zaman Orbach's words, is as follows. The way the item in Shohan Aruch broke, there was an action, a physical change that happened to it. So here also there was a physical change that happened to the soda bottle. The soda bottle came into Shabbat as a bottle. It was holding the contents inside. It was holding the Coca-Cola inside. When I emptied out on Shabbat, or when it was emptied out on Shabbat, it doesn't make a difference if it was me or my kid or if it fell. That physical change of emptying it out is equal to the physical change of the case of Shohan Ruch when the utensil came to Shabbat and it broke. And therefore, in both cases, I have a physical change done to the item, and they're not fit for use anymore, because, and they're made to be thrown out, and the norm is to throw it out. In that case, they become mukseh. This is the explanation of these poskim. This is why they hold these things become mukseh. The flip side of it, the other people are holic. Their logic is a little bit easier to understand. It's more straightforward. And they say the following. That if I took a disposable, if I took a bottle on Shabbat, a, uh, what's called, a soda bottle, I finish using it, and I throw it out in my recycle bin. It's not mukseh. You know why? Because at the end of the day, it's a bottle. It came to Shabbat as a bottle, and still a bottle. True, the norm is to throw it out. But you know why we throw it out? Similar to what we said before, when we throw out broken pieces. Because we have plenty. We've been blessed with plenty. We have so many things. Why would I use a bottle of soda to refill water? I'll go buy myself another bottle of water, another gallon. I'm not losing much. So therefore, according to the poskim that we listed, Rab Scheinberg, Hotashani, and the other poskim, if I threw out my candy wrapper, all these things, as long as they didn't become ma'uz, they didn't become disgusting, if I pick them out, if, uh, if even if I threw them on, on Shabbat in the garbage, I could still pull it out of the garbage. It will not be mukseh. They don't have the status of mukseh. Why? At the end of the day, they retain their original status. They are a keli. There's Status of keli does not go away for them. So, for example, the case of a soda bottle, the case of a plastic cup that's still not broken, a plastic plate, candy wrappers, potato chips bag, as long as they still function as what they used to function, that means the potato chips bag was not completely ripped apart, you know, just open up on top. The candy wrapper could still be used technically. All these things, they're not mukse, even if I get rid of them. You know why? Because they came into Shabbat as a keli, 
and they will not use, they will not lose their status of a keli until there was a physical change to them that made them not be functionable anymore. And that's what's going to make them according to the other poskim. So now you can tell me what's a halakha, what do we do rule? And the answer is that you could be lenient over here because like we said, Muqsa is anyway dirabanan, safek dirabanan likula. But in general, like we always said by all mahlukot, a person should try to be mahmi when possible. But if it's not possible, then you could be lenient. I believe Hakamadi is also of the opinion that they don't become Muqsa if you threw them out on Shabbat. However, almost all the poskim will agree that disposables which have been thrown away before Shabbat, before Shabbat came in, they will be mukseh. Chacham Badia also agrees. Ravil Yashiv Zatzal. They all they all agree on this. For example, you have you know the recycling bag and you have your bottles inside. So you took your cans, you took your bottles, you opened them up before Shabbat. You used all of them and you threw them out now inside of the uh, garbage bag for for uh, what do you call it? For recycling. But you threw that before Shabbat. On Shabbat, you decide, you know what? I want to use a bottle. You can't. Because it came into Shabbat as Muqseh Muhammad Gufo and remained that way until, until after Shabbat. <laughs> because it's Muqseh Muhammad Gufo. Okay? With that, we conclude the halakhot of Muqseh Muhammad Gufo of broken pieces. And really, we're going to put a pause really over here, not a stop, but we're going to put a pause. The halakha, Parashat Muketz, which deals with the halakhot of Mukseh, still didn't finish, but we're going to take a big break because we have to start already talking about the holidays. We have to speak about the days of Elul, Selichot, Rosh Hashanah, Shofar. We have Baruch Hashem recorded classes on all these subjects. We worked very hard in the past to make these classes. Um, we will have some sort of contact number or some way that you could still contact if you have any questions on what we said or what we're going to say in the future, even on the recorded classes. Anybody who has questions on Al-Khod Mukseh, text it in right now, but don't call in. Please don't call in. We have only 10 minutes. I would like to discuss an important halakha that's very relevant this year and only happens once in seven years. I'm not going to read the halakha inside. I will say it all outside, but you could find this halakha written in the Benish Hai in Parashat Kitabo, the last halakha, halakha Chavav. By the way, that's Shana Rishonah. If you want to see it inside in the Shohan Aruch, it's in Hoshan Mishpat, Siman Samich Vav, I believe, or Samich Zain. You look over there. That's a halakhot of Prusbul. What in the world is Prusbul? So I'm sure we are aware that we're in the year of Shemitah. If we're not aware, okay, it's not, it's not too late. We still have three weeks left till Rosh Hashanah. So let's, let's know that right now. This year, Tavshin Ayin He, is a year of Shemitah. Now, in general, we're familiar with Shemitah is that you don't work the field. The fruits are hefker. You could go and grab whatever fruits grow in the year of Shemitah in Eretz Israel. However, the rules of Shemitah, there's another aspect to Shemitah, which Shemitah means foregoing, letting go. There's another aspect to Shemitah that is relevant even for us here in Hutsa'aretz, it applies everywhere, not only in Nesay, but even Hutsa'aretz. What are we talking about? That is Shemitat Kesafim. What is Shemitat Kesafim? We'll explain what that is right now. We just read it in last week's parasha, Parashat Re'e. The Torah tells us, this is Midoraita, from the Torah there's a law, there's a halakha. What's halakha? Halakha is that if you lend people money and the collection date is any time before the end of Shemitah, 
the end of the Shemitah, the conclusion of the Shemitah year, then when the Shemitah year is over, then you cannot request from the person you lend money to, you cannot ask him for your money back. You can't press him for the money. That is known as loigos. Clear? Let's repeat it one more time. If Let's give an example. Let's say I'm going to use two people over here. Myself and Abraham. If I lend Abraham $10,000 and Abraham has to pay me the $10,000 next week. Next week is going to be 10th of Elul. The 10th of Elul, Yud Elul, is within the Shemitah year. Since the collection date is due within the Shemitah year or within the last seven years, then next year after Shemitah is over, if I can come to Abraham and request that he should pay me back. The Torah tells us that we have to forgive the loan. You cannot get it back. You have to forgive it. And if the person comes to you and says, you know, I want to pay you back, you have to let him know, by the way, we just finished Shemitah and I already forgave you for the loan. If he says, okay, thank you, and he leaves, there you go, you lost your $10,000. No, you did a big mitzvah with $10,000. However, if he tells you, I know, I learned the halakha, I listened to the halakha hour, I know what the halakha is, I still want to give it to you anyway, then you're allowed to accept it. So I'm sure everybody's flipping out. As everybody, you know, when they hear this, they go, what? Are you kidding? I have to lose my money? Well, that's what the Torah commends. The only thing is, you have to know, that in our days that we don't have the mitzvah of Yovel, and we don't have the mitzvah of Shemitah Middeoraita, there's a mahloket, there's a three-way mahloket. There are three opinions in Rishonim when it comes to collecting a debt after the Shemitah year. What are the three opinions? One opinion holds that the obligation of forgiving a loan is middeoraita. It's biblical. It's a middeoraita. You're not allowed to press a person for money. That's middeoraita. Just like it says, you're not allowed to eat taref. You're not allowed to go and press somebody for money. You're not allowed to steal. You're not allowed to press somebody for money if he, he owed you the money as a loan from before Shemitah. That is one opinion. I believe the opinion of the Ramban. The second opinion is the other, completely the other extreme. That's the Raza. The Raza holds, no, if a person owes you the money and you are owed the money and Shemitah comes, yes, the Torah says you can't collect it, but that's talking about a time. That's, the Torah is talking about only in Eretz Israel, not Hutz La'aretz, this halakha does not apply at all. Ah, uh, what about the Gemara? He explains the Gemara. It's only talking about Israel. It's not talking about Hutzla Aritz. So, therefore, according to him, the Mizrah of Shevitat Kasvin does not apply in Hutzla Aritz. The third opinion, which is also the opinion of the majority of the poskim, of the majority of the Rishonim, also the opinion of Shohan Aruch is that the Mizvah of Shemitat Kesafim, which means forgiving a loan after Shemitah, is applicable. Everywhere in the world, in Israel as well as, well as outside of Israel, in America, everywhere in the world, even in our days, but only Midera Banan, not Midoraita, it's only Midera Banan. So therefore, Midera Banan, it's a rabbinical obligation that when somebody owes you money and his due date was 
before the conclusion of the year of the Shemitah, it's a Mizam Rabbanan to forgive it. Now, what happened is, I'm sure you, you're probably saying in your mind, and you probably said it already, oh yeah, nobody's going to lend money. That's exactly what was happening, what happened in Jewish history. In the times of Hillel, the Gemara says in Masechet Gitin, people stopped lending people money when it came close to the Shemitah. They said, whoa, 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 one second, Abraham's coming to ask me for a loan now for $10,000. I know he needs it right now to open a new business. But I know what's going to happen. If I lend him the $10,000, then in two months it's going to be Shemitah. And although he promised me he's going to pay me back, but I know what's going to happen. Shemitah is going to come and I can't press him for the money. And I lost my $10,000. So people stopped lending money. And because people stopped lending money, now they're doing a bigger Isur. Now they're doing a Isur the right that the Torah says, when you see the Shemitah year coming, don't say in your mind, Oh, Shemitah is coming. I don't want to lend people money. That's assuming the right. If you refuse to give someone a loan because he's scared that the Shemitah is going to f- make you forgive the loan, you're transgressing and assume the right. So came in Lel and he said, according to the post, that say that this is only Midrabanan. Came in Lel and he said, One second, we got to save the Jewish people. So therefore he found... I guess some people would call it a loophole, but it's really not a loophole, but he found what we call a tikkun. That's what Pozbul means, a tikkun for the Ashirim. He found a way to be able to make everybody happy. The person who needs a loan, Abraham, and the Ashir who's giving him the loan. How is that so? He made something called Pozbul. See, if you look in the Torah, the Torah says, Loigos et ra'ehu. A person is not allowed to press Another, a Jew is not allowed to press another Jew for money. But the Torah uses the term re'ehu, which means two Jews equal to each other. Somebody who is not your friend, what does it mean he's not your friend? It means to say an organization, like a Beddin, or like let's say the Mikdash, if they themselves are pressing someone for the money, Torah does not obligate them to forgive it, even after Shemitah. Let's say, for example, the Beit Din of Brooklyn decides to lend Abraham $10,000. The Beit Din could send a letter to Abraham after Shemitah and say, yes, we know that you owe us the money already from before Shemitah. We're asking that you pay us the money back. What do you mean you're a Beit Din? How could you not know that you have to forgive it? And they said, no, they don't have to forgive it. Because it says, only from Jew to Jew, one individual to another individual cannot press him for the money, but not an organization. So therefore what Hillel did is he made this takana called Prozbul. What basically what this takana does is that the people who lend that money, they appoint a certain Bedin as their collection agency. And now they ask the Bedin, I want you, the Bedin, Mr. Bedin of Brooklyn, Bedin of Ocean Parkway, Bedin of Ocean Avenue, you will now be my collection agency. I request, I hand over, I give over all my, you know, collection contracts and you go collect the money for me. In turn, the Bedin will say, okay, we will collect the money for you. We're hiring you as an agent to go collect that money for us, for you. You got to have it works. It sounds like a loophole, right? But that's what it is. It's a tikkun. That's what the prosbul is. So therefore, the Ben Yishai brings it down in Halakha Pasha Kitabo, and it's Halakha Shohan Aruch, that really a person, according to Shohan Aruch, you have to forgive the loan. But if you don't want to, if you don't want to forgive the loan, you don't have to. You can make a prosbul which gives you the right to collect your loan even after Shemitah. So it's important about that that you should know and let other people know. You have to make a prosbul. Even if people, you still don't understand 100% of what I said, do hazarat tonight when you hear the class again tonight at 11. 
And if you still don't understand and you kept on reviewing it, at least go up to people and say, did you make a post bull? You lend people money. Did you make a post bull? And if they don't know, let them ask the rabbi. And it's important to do that in order that we should be mekayim, the psaq of shohan aruch. You know, there's what to rely on, but it's better that we shouldn't have to rely on those opinions because according to some opinions, it's even the oraita. Okay, that is it. We are signing off. We'll give our thanks now to J Radio and everybody here. Nisim, Eran, and we miss you, Nassim, if you're here listening to us, he's not around. And we thank you, of course, the listeners for listening. If anyone has a question, you may call into the studio right now at 718-683-5858, or you could text by 347-927-8398. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week, and a Shabbat Shalom.